Doherty, the 6'7 sophomore from East Meadow, New York. Leadership is learned. A starter on Coach Dean Smith's legendary 1982 Tar Heels National Championship team with Michael Jordan. Jordan comes down with a rebound. Clears it away to Doherty. Doherty going in against Floyd. For the layup, it's good. Leadership is earned. Head coach at the University of North Carolina and the University of Notre Dame. You notice Matt Doherty. He is up working every second of this ballgame. Leadership is taught. Public speaker, author, and executive coach. And leadership does not require a title. This is the Rebound Podcast with Coach Matt Doherty. Welcome to the Rebound Podcast. I'm Matt Doherty, and I'll be your host. On this podcast, we discuss leadership and overcoming adversity in an open and raw kind of way. I became passionate about leadership in 2003 after I lost my job as the head coach at my alma mater, the University of North Carolina. I went on a leadership journey. Leadership is a skill that needs to be practiced on a continuous basis. Today's guest on the Rebound podcast is Debbie Capen of Miravia. She has an amazing story. Welcome to the podcast, Debbie. Thank you for having me, Matt. This is, uh, I'm really excited. Yeah. Well, you're doing amazing work. Just start by telling us a little bit about uh, Miravia. Um, what is that program? And then we'll do a little deeper dive into how you got involved in your upbringing. Sure. So Miravia, which is kind of a, a made-up word to mean the miraculous way, is a completely unique program located at Belmont Abbey College. It's a partnership between Miravia and the college where we built and operate um, the nation's largest maternity and aftercare residential program for pregnant college students. And it was so new, so unique that you know, we weren't even sure if, if people were going to show up, right? I always think of a field of dreams. If mm-hmm. you build it, they will come. And uh, that's kind of how it worked. And we have now become a destination. So if a young woman is pregnant in college, there are little to no resources available to her. Um, and so we've become a destination. Women have come to us from nine different states and 12 different colleges. They move into our beautiful, spacious facility They have their own room where they can adjust to life as a pregnant and parenting college student. And we provide all the support that they need so that they can continue that path of higher education. They can go to any school. Uh, Belmont Abbey is very generous to offer tuition assistance if they do decide to transfer to Belmont Abbey. But really only about 40 percent of our of our student residents go to Belmont Abbey. Um, and they can stay with us until their child turns two years old. And during that time, they're creating their own uh, community here that they take with them even beyond. And we have a case manager that works with them each week to make sure that they have everything that they need, that they're staying on course and making those plans for independence after life at Miravia. And it's just been a beautiful journey to see that this really does work, that it really is needed. And, um, and honestly, I'm just so proud to be a part of it. It sounds like a beautiful thing. Um, questions that come to mind and, and maybe mind of the audience is, uh, uh, the niche, you know, it, it seems like a niche in a world of pregnant women that are considering, you know, do I keep my baby or not? Right. Uh, the niche of the college student, why that niche? Well, the organization started out as a traditional maternity program, maternity housing program back in 1994 under the name of Room at the Inn. 
And that home in Charlotte could house up to six women. As the board was doing long-range planning, um, they discovered that pregnant college students were falling through the cracks. It's a very unique demographic. They really don't fit anywhere. (laughs) They are pretty much marginalized. And it was honestly had to be the work of God because the abbot of Belmont Abbey, Abbot Placid Solari, happened to be at an event with some of the board members of the organization. And they got to chatting and he said, well, aren't most of the women you serve college age? And when they confirmed that, he said, you know, if you want to serve college students, my brother monks and I will donate the land for you to to come to Belmont Abbey College. Um, and it really is something that is so unique that women don't even think to look for us. So we're it's a constant struggle to get the word out that we're here and that it's it's a service that is working. And so it's very niche, um, but very needed. Oh, it obviously sounds that way. You mentioned two years. Uh, why two years? What studies have you done? What background case studies have you done? Data that shows that two years is kind of the magic number. Well, it's funny you should ask. It's really not our choice. In the state of North Carolina, maternity homes, if you house women who are pregnant, you have to be a licensed maternity home. And they have a lot of regulations wrapped around that. Normally, maternity homes are limited to housing uh, women until their child turns one. We asked for a waiver from that so that we could house our moms, you know, probably up to four years while they're continuing their Mm -hmm. education. Um, but, uh, that waiver, uh, was not allowed and, but they gave us two years. Um, and what we found in that though, is that it's, you know, it is good because it's helping them to become independent as the, as the children are growing, they're kind of outgrowing the space. Um, and anecdotally, I can tell you that we get so attached to these moms and babies that honestly, if they stayed here and left when they were four, I think it would be even, it would be a, a harder emotional journey for them when they leave um, to have that separation after, you know, having this, this close family for four years. Yeah. I I can only imagine what if a mother is not done with her schooling yet uh, and she's, you know, only has two years and she needs another year of schooling. What, what happens? Yeah, that's the role of the case management. And so they are setting those goals and making those preparations What's ahead? What do I need to plan for? And you know, while they're with us, we encourage them to load up on those ca- class hours, uh, take summer school. Um, for those that are at Belmont Abbey, they have a beautiful program called the Adult Degree Program. And so for our moms that are going to, their children are going to age them out of the program before they graduate. Um, a lot of times they'll transfer into that adult degree program that really is helpful for working adults and parenting adults. Um, and we've seen a lot of success in in transitioning them that way. And, you know, they're applying for the resources that they need while they're with us to make sure everything's in place. So if they're going to need childcare resources, you know, the housing, all of that, we are making sure that they are being proactive so that that day that they're moving out, it is a very good, safe and long-term solution for them. Yeah, that's one of the questions I was going to ask, but let's start at the beginning of the program. Uh, How do you find your candidates? You said a lot of them find you. How do you market your program? Because uh, obviously... I listened to an interview that you were on. It may have been a couple of years ago, and I think there were 15 either rooms or 15 beds. Is that still the case? 
That's correct. Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I would assume there's a bigger demand than 15 in the country. How do you attract women to the Mira Via program? That is one of our big challenges as a nonprofit. You know, we don't have unlimited funds for marketing. Most of our clients find us through family and friend referrals. So, you know, you having me on your show today is is definitely a way that women have found us because someone who is listening may have, you know, a niece or, you know, down the road might know of someone who needs our services. So, so really the more that we can do these types of, of conversations, the better. Mm-hmm. This is the first year that we have, um, we're really putting out that digital marketing push. There's so many, um, we live in the brave new world where you can really push out digital marketing you know, right to someone's phone, you know, based on their location, based on what they're searching online. So we just launched that and we're super excited. It's been less than 30 days. So we're waiting, you know, to see. Um, But, you know, it's trying to find women in that short amount of time because it really is a very short window of time where they have to make very serious long-term decisions. And that's the magic sauce is, is reaching them at at that moment. Yeah. I didn't think of that. That window is pretty short, right? Talk to us about that, okay? Um, now, uh, this is where I, I'm going to pivot. I can because it's my show, right? Um, and and my background's <laughs> basketball. That's why the rebound title and pivoting is a big part of, of athletics. Let's talk about you, okay? Um, because you were in this position as a young woman years ago. And tell us about your upbringing, your pregnancy, and the decisions you made and how that impacted your life. Yeah, happy to. Um, I was raised in South Carolina. Um, my, you know, came from a great, you know, loving family. Uh, had two siblings. And, um, the older I get, the more I realize how unique my upbringing was because uh, my father managed motels in North Myrtle Beach. So we, back in those days, the family lived in the motel and. So I grew up literally with the beach as my backyard and we all got my mom worked in the office and my siblings and I would help out, you know, cleaning the pool deck and those types of things. Um, and so I had just a wonderful childhood. And then when I was 13, my father passed away suddenly. Um, and that was a, a huge trauma, obviously, not only losing my dad, but suddenly, okay, where are we going to live? How How's my mom, you know, how are we going to support ourselves? Um, and the next few years kind of flew by. And I was going off to college and I knew how much my mom had sacrificed to make sure that I could be in school. Um, and the summer between my freshman and sophomore year, I had really stepped away from my faith life. I grew up going to church every Sunday and, and really felt like I had a you know, good relationship with the Lord but that first year at college really led me down a path where I wasn't thinking about God at all anymore. Um, and so the summer before my sophomore year, I got into a relationship with someone that was working at, uh, at the beach where I was. And two weeks before going back to school, I discovered that I was pregnant. And I went to him and this is going to sound like a, a movie or something, but actually he was literally moving to the Virgin Islands after the summer to take his business down there. And so we knew that we would never see each other again. Mm-hmm. Um, and he looked at me and he said, well, what are you going to do? 
when I told him I was pregnant. And those words really let me know, like, okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was going to say, are gonna what do? are you going to do? Not what are we going to do, right? The exactly. choice of words, uh, being very mm-hmm. intentional, whether that was not intentional, but it came out that way. And and that yeah. was his true feeling. So now that puts you on, right. a, on an island, I'm sure. Exactly. And I think in today's you know vernacular, we talk about women and it's their body and their choice. But that also then creates this, like you said, this loneliness, like the the woman is now completely responsible for every decision going forward. And that's a lot to bear. So I went back to school, really not knowing what I was going to do. It was all happening pretty fast. I was a fairly young student. I'd started college uh, at 17. So I was 18 at this point. And I went to our college health clinic. And thought, well, maybe I'll take a pregnancy test there. Maybe they'll have some resources. Be the voice of reason for me. And when I went to the front desk and said, may I have a a pregnancy test? I got a very cold reception. And the woman asked me, well, have you already taken a home test? And when I confirmed that I had, she said, well, you don't need our help. You're pregnant. And I just stood there looking at her, you know, and, and in my mind, like, you're the adults in my life. Like, yeah. There's supposed to be, you know, some some help here. Again, alone. <laughs> no support. Right, exactly. Uh, can I tell you, can I ask what year this was and what, what university? Sure. Um, it was 1992. And, and not to throw off on my alma mater, because I, no, I have no. my alma mater of, of Winthrop, uh, yep, but Winthrop. It was okay. University. Yep. Yep. There's a level of ignorance. Um, and that's, you know, we got to show everyone grace and, you know, we all try to get better each and every day. So uh, I was just really trying to identify, I think for our listeners, like, okay, you imagine walking on this campus and now we can have a better view of exactly where it was, when it was, because I think the time frame matters. You know, you hope today in 2023, if someone were to walk into the health services of any university, they get a different reception. And hopefully that's what's happening. It's exactly what's happening. Yeah. I have a beautiful moment that's so now I have actually been back to Winthrop's health services and met with their nursing staff. They have our materials. And there was one of those moments that I will never forget where I was walking out of the health services clinic back towards my car after meeting with the nurses. And I had to walk the exact same path that I remember vividly walking when I left after that day and feeling so alone as I walked back to my dorm and realizing, okay, no one's here. No one's going to help. No one's coming to the rescue. And yet that redemptive walk that day, knowing that it had gone full circle. So yes, they, when people have a choice, they're so happy to be able to present it. But back then they're really just, they told me just to look up abortion in the yellow pages. That was the only thing they could offer. Oh no. Yep. Oh no. Yep. <laughs> oh my gosh. And then then talk about support. Like we talk about you're alone, you're on this island. What about um your friends? What about your mother? What about any siblings? What did you do? Who'd you turn to? I was so afraid of disappointing my mother, and that was my big mistake. And a lot of the worst choices in our life are fear-based mm-hmm. and made in the dark, mm-hmm. you know. And if I, that was my mistake, not turning to my mom or, or those in my life that I knew I was going to hurt and disappoint, but to do it anyway. Mm -hmm. And instead 
I, you know, my, my friends, I love them. They thought they were being supportive of, of helping me, uh, you know, to, to go and have the abortion. They felt like they were helping to empower me. And I thought, you know, it's, it's legal, it's safe, it must be okay. Um, and that's how I ended up in that trap of feeling that I just had to take care of this myself, get back to quote unquote normal and go on with my life. Wow. There's just so much to unpack here. When did you end up telling your mom? Ooh, <laughs> that's an interesting story too. So there is, this kind of jumps into my journey of, of going back to that place in my life and realizing the regret and the grief and the pain that I had around it. And I was invited to go to a, um, it was kind of like a prayer. It was like a public prayer event and at the corner of trade and try on in Charlotte. No way. <laughs> a prayer event there where we're back in the day. That was where all the, uh, you know, women of the night would walk. Uh, yeah. So that's interesting. <laughs> well, this, was, this was right during the day. And there was a group from an organization called silent, no more awareness. And it was a group of women who were coming out to publicly share their abortion experiences and their healing journeys and someone asked me if I would go and just stand there and support so that they felt um, supported by the community. And I was standing on the sidewalk listening to them and they were holding these big signs that said, I regret my abortion. And I felt completely convicted. Like, who am I to stand over here on this side of the sidewalk as they are pouring themselves out? Um how can I stand over here? Like I'm not one of them. And the Holy spirit, I think just literally pushed me <laughs> kicking and screaming. I, I, my feet started moving and I, I couldn't stop. And I walked over and I stood next to, to one of the young ladies and she handed me an extra sign. And there I stood. And then I look over and there's a photographer from the Charlotte. Oh, Observer, wow. Wow. Which my mom read every day. <laughs> wow. So you had the um, abortion in 1992. What year was yeah. this that you were walked across the street or you were carried across the street by, uh, uh, by God? Um, <laughs> what year was that? Oh, goodness. It would have had to have been the early 2000s. I'm trying to think oh, what wow. year it was. I, I kind of I place everything by, you know, yep. which how many children I had at that time. <laughs> but um, yeah. so I knew that I had to in case they put that picture in the paper, I went straight from there to my mom's and told her and, it, you know, it wasn't easy. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't pleasant, of course. Um, but it was something I had to do that that would then free me up again, those fear-based decisions. Mm -hmm. Once you conquer those fears and then move beyond them, then all new horizons open up for you that weren't there before. And it really led me to be able to share my story publicly. In my leadership practice, we talk often of fog. Don't operate out of fear, obligation, guilt because we all do it. Um, I grew up Irish Catholic and we jokingly say we were born guilty and to make a decision out of guilt or fear. You know, as you talked with your mother, now you have how many children now? My husband, I have seven. So, seven. That, <laughs> that sounds like a Irish Catholic family back in the day on the, in New York. Um, uh, are they, yeah. Uh, my, my, my husband's family is from Cork, Ireland. Oh, <laughs> there you go. I nailed it. Nailed it. Nailed it. Nailed it. Yeah. Good. The, the old country. Um, 
Are those seven all yours naturally? They are. They oh, are. They my range goodness. from 22 down to six. Oh, yep. my goodness. Oh, my goodness. It's a loud house. Like, just think of your journey from having an abortion in 92 to now having seven kids. And that's so beautiful. Um, the thing, though, like, how do you parent your children so that they're not afraid to come to you when they're in a difficult situation like you were in 1992? You talk about the guilt and you know, I really try to be a, a parent that lets my children know that it's okay to fail, mm-hmm. that we're there no matter what for them. Mm-hmm. So I think, I think as they're making those smaller mistakes now and they know that they can come to me without hiding them that when they have something that they feel is a bigger mistake they'll know that they can come to to john or i and i i really i without even coming out and saying it that we just try to live it that way Yep, amen my wife does an amazing job with that um, we don't judge them uh, for their setbacks for their decisions we love them and hopefully they learn from that um because you know, what happened to you in 92 because of your fear of a reaction from your mother or guilt or the obligation that you felt you don't want that to happen to your kids. So good for you. Wow. Seven kids. That's a beautiful thing. Okay. So now let's pivot back. You're trying to attract young women like you, right? So how did you, Debbie Capen, get associated with Mira Via. I mean, this is like a match made literally in heaven. (laughs) When I really came to terms with my feelings about the abortion and realizing the regret and going on that path, like I knew that I wanted to do something. I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I knew like, if you're not part of the solution, you're part of the problem. Right. Mm -hmm. And So I started looking for organizations to help or how I could volunteer. And someone invited me to the banquet, the annual banquet for then Room at the Inn. And my husband and I started to to go. And then the year that they announced the college-based residence, it was like my whole being wanted to jump out and run up onto the stage and be like, thank you, someone gets it. Um, so the, the, the very next day I called the executive director, Cindy Brown at the time and told her my story, said, what can I do to help? I would, I, what y'all are doing is amazing. And she said, thank you. You know, I did a couple of diaper drives for the organization. And then the, about 11 months later, she called me and she said, would you be willing to share your story in our annual video? And um, again, that fear I had to overcome because uh-huh. most people did not know my story. My husband did not know my, Your hus- I mean, my I, you husband know what was I was going to, okay. no, he knew, he knew, he, he knew yeah. before you got married. Uh, yes, yes. he did. Gotcha. He knew. Uh-huh. And so he was really the only, the only one. And here I was, you know, someone who was going to church every Sunday and, you know, I was so afraid of what people would think, but I thought, you know what, God, I don't have much to give you, but I can give you this. I can give you my face and my story. Um, and so I was in in the video and told told it, and it, the outpouring of love that I received from 
friends and family and people I didn't even know. I was getting cards in the mail because women my age, um, one in four of us have had an abortion. I, thought, I, heard, which, I heard that stat on your interview that by, by the age of 40, is that right? Or by, by, 45? by the age of 45, um, 25%. Yeah. And, and it's really crazy to think that 20% of all pregnancies end in abortion in the United States, 20%, so, yeah, 20% of, of, of all so pregnancies, we're everywhere. of all pregnancies and yeah, of all pregnancies, not, yeah. And not including miscarriages, but those, yes. So we're everywhere. We're in your, you know, the, your offices, we're in your churches, we're everywhere. And the more of us who can come out and talk about it and, and be like, that was a fear-based decision. You know, and I can, I can only talk about my experience, right? I'm talking about my experience. Um, so that's how I got involved is just wanting to make a change and getting involved. And then I came on when they had a position as assistant director, they reached out to me because by this time I had gotten very active in the community um, and my name was on the list of, of folks they wanted to talk to. And at that time, I was, you know, my career was going really well. I was a senior HR manager at a Fortune 100 company. Um, and it was a big decision to to step away from that and go in on this, you know, nonprofit <laughs> path. Um, and so after a lot of prayer, I, I remember feeling this this you know, conversation, an imaginary conversation with God, where if he had asked me, you know, Debbie, I need you to go be a missionary on the other side of the planet and serve, you know, the poorest of the poor, I need you to go, you know, to anywhere, wouldn't you go? And, you know, I remember thinking, yes, of course I would. Why wouldn't you do it in your own backyard? And that was really the conviction that I felt like, okay, God, God will get us, you know, get us through whatever we need. If we're, if we're seeking to do his will. I'm just taking this in, man. Yeah. I, I talk about, we all wear masks. I wear three masks. I wear the tough guy mask. I wear the smart guy mask and I wear, I've got my stuff together mask. And, um, when I am in a, working with my executive coaching groups, I challenge people to take our masks off and put it on the hook because then you can stand up straighter because the weight of those masks make you hunch over and they add stress. And when you can be vulnerable and a friend of mine once said, vulnerability is the new invincibility. It's really freeing. And you're also giving other people a gift because you know what? They've got masks. Like you just said, 24% of all women. By the age of 45, one in four will have had an abortion. <sighs> and so like you're walking by a lady in a grocery store, you're meeting somebody in a business setting. Like we all try to project this image of having our stuff together, but most of us don't. And so by you sharing your vulnerability, not only was it freeing for you, but I bet you it was freeing for other people too. Yeah. Every time I give a talk, I am so touched by the the people who come up and, and it's not just the women, it's the dads. I can't tell you how many times I've had a man come up to me and say, I helped pay for an abortion. I, you know, those, those men are hurting as well. It's not just a women's issue. It's a family issue. And the more that we can bring this into the light and help people face it and heal and then do something about it really out of love, 
I, I can't stand when people get angry over this topic and want to you know, fight and go fisticuffs. We need more love in this in this discussion. And, and like you said, grace and then understanding, OK, what's the next good step? Where, where do we go from here? Do all the women that uh, give birth at Belmont Abbey keep the baby? No, we have some that make adoption plans. Yeah. Um, and most of them do decide to parent. But if they make an adoption plan, we a thousand percent support them and they can stay as long as it makes sense for them to stay. We encourage them to make a plan. So if it's staying for that rest of that semester or whatever, we want to make sure that they still feel supported long after the birth. I would imagine that there's probably no hard data, but the the women that eventually decide to uh, have the baby and whether they keep it or put it up for adoption versus the women who have an abortion, the feelings of regret, I can only imagine, you know, anecdotally, you probably have that type of information, even if you give the baby up for adoption or you have the baby and keep the baby, uh, raise the baby, the feelings you have versus the feelings you have if you had the abortion. Can you speak to that? Absolutely. I don't know a single mom that regrets having her child. I can tell you that there are multiple organizations dedicated to women who regret their abortions. I feel that if a woman is now there's a different type of, of grief that goes along with placing for adoption, which I've seen, and it's a it's a heart wrenching but beautiful sacrifice that these that these women make. And I always like to to talk to our moms and remind them that our brains don't finish <laughs> growing and and maturing until we're twenty five. And we have no business making permanent lifelong decisions, life or death decisions like that. Um, and especially you know, if, if we don't even know what life is yet. Um, and, and so it's going to take organizations like Miravia, people willing to stand up and say, OK, yes, it might be it might be a little hard, but we're here with you. We're going to walk with you and everything's going to be OK. And to see the moms go on their journey through here, by the time they leave, they are so empowered and happy and proud of themselves and awesome mothers that they, it gives them, they know that they can conquer the world. Mm -hmm. They, they leave here with their heads held high and ready to, to just be the best person and mom and, and citizen they can be. So you go from having abortion 92 to having seven kids to being the director, executive director at Miravia, that's a heck of a rebound story. That's a heck of a story. And that's what we talk about here is, you know, how do you rebound from the darkest days maybe of your life in 1992 to where you are now? So how did you, like, uh, you touched on some of it, some of the stories. You know, I think we have choices in life. When faced with adversity, I think you could do three things. You could quit, like quit life. Uh, you could l let it label you as a loser, uh, unlucky, unfortunate, play victim, or you can embrace it. You know, Nelson Mandela, I love this quote, I never lose, I either win or I learn. Uh, and then Oprah Winfrey, who, by the way, had a teenage pregnancy and got fired from her first job in TV in Baltimore at a college. I think it was her that said, it doesn't happen to you. It happens for you. So how did this adversity, 
who were the encouragers in your life? How'd you get through it? And, you know, how is it looking back? How, how has it helped you? My husband is definitely a future saint. He is so supportive. He is my biggest cheerleader. So even it w- even though this happened before we even met, he understands that God is going to use this and he, he wants to be a part of that. So I would say the rebound in my life, you know, my team, you know, it was him. It was the friends that I had made um, of, of the organizations that I became involved with along that way of, of either Silent No More. Or there's a wonderful organization called Rachel's Vineyard that um, has retreats for women and men who have had an abortion experience. Um, it was those people that encouraged me and gave me the the strength and to really put my trust in God's plan. And the best advice I ever got was just take the next good step. Yeah. We, we don't always know where it's going to take us, but just take it. And um, man, it, it has definitely borne a lot of fruit in my life. Just take the next good step. I'm going to put your name to that one. You, it's now your quote. No, I have borrowed it from from others, so I can't claim it, but uh, and I want to spread the word. Well, I'll play a, a word game. Uh, it's uh, instead of via Debbie Capen, it's Mary via Debbie Capen. <laughs> how, how about that? Uh, uh, okay, yes. Uh, all right, yeah, uh, a little maybe a dad pun. I'm not sure. Um, <laughs> so... I love, like, thank you. First of all, thank you for coming on. This is such a deep and rich uh, conversation. And um, okay, going back, like if you could talk to yourself, you go back to your younger self in 1992, what would you tell yourself? What advice would you give yourself? And I'm assuming that's the same advice you give to these young women who are pregnant and trying to make a decision whether to have an abortion or not and continue their college education. What would you have told yourself? First of all, Pope John Paul II had a great phrase that he would always say, be not afraid. And it's a fancy way of just, you know, saying, don't be afraid. And that's the first advice is understanding that there really is nothing to be afraid of. Women have been having babies since the beginning of time. Um, and so once you can unpack those fears, like what is it? What are those pressure points that you're really, really worried about? And for me, I could have gone back and said, look, yes, you know, it might be a slight detour, but everything's going to be okay. You will still have your friends. Your, your mom is going to, babies make great peacemakers. I tell that, you know, it is a bit of a trauma for a family when this happens. And, you know, so we've seen it like, but if a young woman feels like she's got someone at her side to have those hard conversations with those in her life that might not react the way she would hope, if she has that support, that's what I tell them. And that's what I would have told myself is that God will provide the support that you need. You will get through this. You will never regret it. You know, I regret every day that there is you know, a son or a daughter that I would have in, in my life. That's what I think we have to communicate more is that there's no reason to be afraid. Once you take those crisis, those, those pressure points away, then it's no longer a crisis pregnancy. It's just a pregnancy. And nothing bad could come from that. You know, it's all joy. The women who, who we see here, they, they over and over again, they were like, I never knew I could be this happy. And I never knew I could love someone so much. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. No, you don't. My, my son was born Tucker and, uh, he's going to turn 26 on the 17th. And I remember, um, we were living in Kansas at the time 
I was an assistant basketball coach for Roy Williams. We had the uh, christening and uh, my family came out and I was taking them back to the airport and then the rental cars, taking my dad back by myself um, to, to the airport after we dropped the rental car off. So it was just he and I in the car. And I said to him, I said, dad, now I know how much you love me. Because you don't know, like you don't understand that love until you have a child. And I remember telling my mother, I said, if someone would to harm Tucker, I would tie them to the back of my car, drag them down Main Street and shoot them in the head. And my wife, my mom was like, oh, Matthew, you wouldn't do that. And I said, no, I think I would. <laughs> because, uh, you know, I've got a 25-year-old son and 23-year-old daughter. I talked to my daughter today and, you know, they're the biggest joys of my life. And um, you don't understand until you have the child. And it's immediate, like right when they come out, it's like, whap, like everything changes. And you don't care about the stuff that you really cared about. Like, you know, that f- nice polo shirt or those nice jeans or, you know, how you, you showed up at the golf course or what kind of car you were driving. Nothing mattered except taking care of those babies. And like you said, babies are great peacemakers. Can I attribute that quote to you? Sure. Okay. <laughs> Um, so we talked about this earlier and I didn't think about this. The window is short. So you got to get to these women, like almost like an emergency, like you're, you're, you're a SWAT team. Like you've got to come down from the sky, find these people and get and develop a, a trusting relationship in a short period of time because they're making this, what they think is a life and death decision and now here's this third party this stranger who's trying to convince them to come to miravia and take on their education and have the baby and how do you do that it is not easy so thank you again for for bringing us on your show um it's interesting we had a facebook post that went viral we we showed a picture of one of our rooms and it two million views on facebook Wow. And it was so beautiful to see the comments over and over again. I wish this had been there for me. People tagging other people. Hey, did you ever, have you heard of this? And then the other comments that were, this is too good to be true. And that's one of our hurdles. Is that Yes, we sound too good to be true. But I'm here to tell you, the people who work here are the most selfless, loving people. They do not come here for a paycheck. They come here because they want to help and they want to serve. Um, And so that constant challenge that we have of getting the word out and to let people understand, yes, this really is what we say it is. And yes, it, it really is free. We don't charge our clients anything. We're a nonprofit, but we go out there and we raise the money because our community is so supportive that they want to be a part of what we do. That it, it is, I wish I could market all day long and I know that we still wouldn't be able to reach everybody. So we lean heavily on people following us on social media at Miravia Life. Please, 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 everybody follow Mira, us on social Mira media. Miravia Life is your, is your, uh, we're on Twitter, Facebook, we're Facebook. on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok even now. Um, Gosh, you're hip. And if, well, I guess no, hip, we, we try. Hip, I have teenage is, daughters I, and I was, 
hip is not cool. Like hip, by definition, I think hip is not hip. I mean, it's not cool to say hip anymore. So I guess you got a good vibe. I think that's uh, that's maybe the, the term that the yeah. kids are using. Okay. Yeah, we try to be lit. Yeah. Yeah. You- <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. That's funny. Um, so you got to swoop in at the like eleventh hour and try to convince. Uh, young women to make a huge decision, the biggest decision of their lives. And um, there's, uh, I'm sure, tact and, and a strategy to doing that. Um, again, you, you touched on how you do it. Uh, I don't know if you want to add a little bit more flavor to it. You know, like you get in front of somebody, what's the first conversation? Do you fly to them? Do they come to you? How does that work? Yeah, it starts with a phone conversation typically, or these days a text. Um, and start that conversation. The main criteria is that they have to be pregnant. Uh, that's another North Carolina regulation. We cannot, if we house pregnant women, we can only house, bring them in while they're pregnant. So sadly, um, if a woman finds out about us and she's got a newborn, we have to say, we're sorry, we can't gotcha. bring you in. That's yeah. So we have the conversation. We'll do FaceTime, Skype. We'll you know have those conversations. They fill out an application. Um, a lot of times we have had women fly in. I had a, a woman who flew in from D.C. Uh, I think she came here on a Thursday, met with us, met with the admissions counselors at Belmont Abbey and moved in from D.C. the following Tuesday and started classes that week. Like we have this amazing team that can they help them to transfer. They help them to do everything that they need. Um, so we can op- we can move pretty quickly when we need to. The typical time frame stretches out usually a little bit longer than that, more like a month. But the the good news is is that they are able to breathe. So mm-hmm. once they know that we're there for them, then it's like okay, they can exhale, they can inhale, they can think things through, have the conversations, make the plans that they need. Um, and so once they move in. You know, that they are, it starts right away with, you know, the, the life skills classes and um, meeting with the case manager. Uh, but we really try to make it very comfortable. And once that's always the, the big thing is they don't know what to expect. So when they walk in that door for the very first time, we usually try to invite them to lunch and talk to other current residents so that they, that speaks louder than, than us. Mm-hmm. the other sure. residents oh, yeah. to, to let them know that. Yeah. And so that's, that's typically the process is. And then once, once everything is, is moved in and ready, then they can stay, like I said, until the child turns two and they're in school. Um, costs you mentioned earlier, doesn't cost them anything. No, we, we, we want anyone to be able to come here. Um, despite th- that same woman that came from DC, this is an amazing story. She was the first in her family to go to college and someone met her at the abortion clinic and she felt like she didn't have any other option. And that person had heard about Mary at a conference, called us with her, uh, paid her airfare to come and see Mary Um, And that young woman, both of her parents were in homeless shelters. Oh, my God. Yeah. And so she literally had no, no support and she ended up graduating with a four-year degree and, and, a, and How, a beautiful whoa, son. Whoa. She had every reason, every excuse not to be successful. And she chose 
Miravia. That's, yep. that's a hell of a story. Um, okay. Costs. Um, how does it fund it? What is it? What does it cost to have a mother and a child in a two-year program? Well, our, our main cost, right, is like a lot of organizations, it's your, it's your staff. So we have 24-7 staff here. So if you broke it down, you know, it, it doesn't make sense on paper. But what is the value of a human life, right? Mm-hmm. We are all completely priceless. And our annual operating um, expenses here are usually around five or $600,000 uh, to operate the program. Um, and so we don't want to pass that on to our, and, 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 and we have been blessed. We have never, ever had to worry about closing the doors. So the community is ready to help us. And so, yes, we're a nonprofit. We're a Catholic organization, but I say just like a Catholic college or a Catholic hospital, we serve everyone, you know, our staff, our volunteers, our clients come from all different backgrounds. But the mission we share is that we want to support these women. So we have a banquet every year to raise money. We just had our golf tournament yesterday oh, yeah. to raise uh, funds. Um, we do two direct mails per year out to, the, you know, our donor base. Uh, some, some, some grants. Uh, but mo- mainly it's just our individual donors that believe in the mission and want to be a part of it. Yeah. Oh, that's a, a beautiful thing. You talked about 15 beds. Uh, is it 15 rooms or 15 beds? It's 15 rooms. Okay. We actually have four of those rooms that can accommodate two children. So we have had multiple moms who might have a toddler when they find out that they're pregnant. Oh. And then that is an, an even bigger pressure point. Like I, I can't, I've already got one child. How am I going to do a second child? Well, we say, come on, you know, bring, bring them. Um, so four that can accommodate for the, the second child. And then, yeah, everybody has their own beautiful private suite with their own little kitchenette and their own bathroom, their, their own temperature control. But we do have our meals all together as a community. Um, I, I'm a big believer in, in family meals is a wonderful life skill to learn and for them to, to take on for the rest of, of their family life. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah. Agree. Agree. A hundred percent. You're ramping up your marketing. So now you're going to have more demand and only 15 rooms. Is there any thoughts or plans for expansion? We have the land here that's zoned for us if we need to expand. So so the, the monks here on this beautiful property have made extra space for us. Um, our vision for the future is I would love for it to be Miravia at Belmont Abbey, Miravia at Winthrop, Miravia mm-hmm. at any college that would make room for us mm-hmm. just if, if they can outsource their, their dining to Chartwells, you know, outsource your, your pregnancy and parenting housing to Miravia. And it's this beautiful partnership that, that we have proven is a model that works mm-hmm. and we would love to, to take it on the road. I love that vision. Going back to you, Debbie, how does it feel to you when you see a mother and her child walking out the door upon, you know, their graduation, if you will, uh, from the program. How does, how does that make you feel? It is such a mixed emotion and, and humble, really humble, that God would allow me to be a part of this, to, to help people that were just like me, 
Um, that and I always say what we do here is not rocket science. You know, it, it's it's housing, it's childcare. We provide childcare while they're in 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 class, um, and that's all that they needed. But the relationships that are formed here really are forged and are so strong because you know it's it's such a special time in their life. And I I cry. We had a mom who graduated in May and left us. Um, with her little girl and we all stood there and just boohooed at the door as she as she left um and and it's like i said it's the ultimate bittersweet it's it's beautiful yeah well in your marketing if your if your marketing person is really good they should get a sponsorship for you from kleenex because i imagine <laughs> i imagine you girls are just everyone's just bawling and snotting and and you know all that you know <laughs> mascara <laughs> running you know the whole deal yeah kleenex i, I think kleenex would be a good sponsor for you um i, I totally agree yeah um i could go on and on i just uh love your story uh, you're the epitome of the rebound story, turning your pain into passion. What haven't I asked that you would have liked me to ask? I think the the common questions that we get that are, I just want everyone to know is that we are, we have availability. Our moms can go to any school. We've had moms that go to, we're in firefighter school, beauty school, um, their CNA, up through master's. So that we are here for anyone. And I think that's the big thing that we serve women of all different schools. And that's a question we get. The question we get, do they have to be Catholic, which is always makes me laugh. I'm like, yeah. no. <laughs> um, and you know, those are the common questions that we get. And then also people want to know how they can get involved. And, you know, I encourage everyone, like I said, to please follow us at Miravia Life. Go to our website, miravia.org. Um, and if they want to get involved, we would, we would welcome you know, their participation. Debbie, uh, you're awesome. A- an inspiration to me. And I'm sure everybody that, uh, hears your story. Uh, thank you for your time coming on the rebound podcast. Well, thank you, Matt. It's been an honor. Leadership is a learned behavior. You're a leader, whether you're a parent, a coach, a business owner, or a friend. We all lead in some way, shape, or form. Thanks for listening. I welcome any and all feedback. You can reach me at dartycoaching.com.